is Luke Butler and you're listening to the first episode of the Back of House podcast. Together with my co-host, Michael Rodriguez, we'll be interviewing the people behind some of the best brands in the hospitality industry. For this episode, we'll be joined by Danielle Allen, who together with her longtime friend, Jane Lewis, founded the widely acclaimed Two Birds Brewing, which is Australia's first female-owned brewing company. Our conversation will shed some light on the story behind the business and the people who have built it. We talk about the current craft market, their approach to product, and the allocation of duties within an organisation that has its founders not only living in separate states, but involving their husbands in the business also. Thank you very much for listening. We hope you enjoy our chat with Danielle Allen. So, Danielle, thanks for joining us. Thanks for taking the time out of your busy schedule. Thank you. All right. So, um, look, we'll jump straight into the questions. And uh, the first uh, the first topic we really wanted to cover was um, the origins of Two Birds Brewing. So, mm-hmm. why did you start the business? Why did you jump into beer? Was there was it a calculated decision? Yeah, can you give us just the full insight into... The full long version. Correct. Okay, here we go. <laughs> um, so my business partner, Jane Lewis, and I, we were originally Perth girls, and we met um, when, we, when we were about 19 in Perth right. through our uh, boyfriends, uh, who are now actually our husbands. So we've both both been with the same guys for an extremely long amount of time. <laughs> um, so we met in Perth, and we didn't go to the same school or anything, but we knew of each other. And I guess from, from that age, we became um, just friends as couples. We used to catch up and you know have drinks and go out to dinner and do all those nice things yep when I was 21 I decided to move to Sydney for my marketing career so I pretty much packed packed up my life in Perth and headed off over to Sydney um, I'd studied marketing um, I did a double degree in marketing and public relations at Curtin University right. and Jane also went to the same university although I had never saw saw her at uni and <laughs> yeah it's weird and she um, studied viticulture which is winemaking so we both did our uni degrees um, and set off on our separate ways um, Jane originally was a winemaker down in Margaret River mm-hmm. and um, I guess I'll I'll tell you about a little bit about her background but um, firstly mine so I came over to the East Coast um, to Sydney and um, started to you know try and look for marketing jobs I got my first marketing job which I was there for about 18 months um, and then I went overseas for about six months came back and then was looking for another job and I got a job at um, ALM or Metcash Trading which is the um, the parent company that looks after uh, all of the independent bottle shops in Australia. Yeah. So that was my first introduction to the liquor industry scene. Um, and I spent five years there. So um, I was a marketing assistant and uh, I got exposure to, I guess, the independent liquor world, um, worked on brands such as Celebrations and the Bottle and um, also had a bit of a run at the IGA liquor brand as well um, and working with, working with those um, independent re- retailers. So that was really great. Um, I loved the liquor industry, started to meet all the suppliers, Mm -hmm. um, went away on a couple of big conferences as the independents like to do, Um, (laughs) junkets I think they're known as. Mm. So um, 
uh, after that I was looking for a um, another job and I wanted to go um, sort of bigger and better if you like um, so I uh, applied for a job that didn't actually exist at Woolworths um, and then I kind of jumped over from liquor into um, grocery and I was a, one of their first product development managers that they hired to do their private label um, brand which was Select at the time. Yeah right. So I did that for about five years which um, that gave me exposure to kind of sourcing and costing and um, buying and sort of developing a product from the idea and then seeing it on the shelf um, in the kind of a year's time, however long, however long it took. Um, Can you give us an example of a product maybe that you would have been a part of developing that listeners might know of? Yeah, sure. So I did um, like the select chocolate, um, the select cereals, the jams and spreads. I did Christmas, so all of the kind of confectionery Christmas lines. All right bakery some you know I was forever eating so that was a good job in a sense people thought I had the best job in the world but you soon get sick of drink of eating you know like 50 jams in one day or something like that (laughs) um but I guess that gave me the real um like the confidence to um you know think about going out and starting on my own so um I don't think if I had done those five years at Woolworths where I really got to you know understand how to negotiate and do um yeah, just pricing and costings and margin analysis and all of those types of things, I probably wouldn't have had the confidence to uh, think about starting a business of my own. Mm. Even though I've come from a family of small business, so my, yeah. my dad's always, he started about three businesses, kind of built them up and, and then moved on to different projects. But um, So I, th- I think I always knew that I was going to do something on my own. Yeah. I just hadn't had that light bulb moment. Um, so jumping over to Jane, she... Um, was uh, doing the winemaking and she wanted to move from the country like if you call Margaret River country and get back into the city because she was didn't like the commute Um, she saw a job come up at Little Creatures um, and I guess she saw some synergies between winemaking and brewing Mm -hmm. and went in and told us tiny white lie to them about being a home brewer when she'd never home brewed in her life <laughs> right. um, and she landed the job at Little Creatures because uh, they were actually looking to develop a cider at the time which is still around called Pip Squeak um, and I guess they saw the parallels between winemaking and cider making so they um, leaned on her um, experience from being a winemaker to bring, bring her on board. So that sort of set off her path through brewing. Um, she obviously fell in love with it straight away. It's a lot more creative mm-hmm. um, than uh, winemaking and it's you know, you're turning over your the um, results of your um, ideas in a much quicker fashion, yep. you know, from an idea to the beer, beer coming out, you know, a couple of weeks as opposed to a, a whole other year of a vintage. Um, so she did that and then um, she was looking to do kind of... Um, you know, bigger and better as well and there wasn't much going on in WA at the time, believe it or not. Um, so she headed off to Melbourne which was where the craft beer scene was I guess a few more years ahead mm. of um, the rest of the country and she got an interim job at Matilda Bay Garage um, but then landed the head brewer role at uh, Mountain Goat. Right. right. So that brings us to, I guess, um, to Jane was head brewer at Mountain Goat and I had done know 10 years of uh, marketing and product development and 
uh, it was about it was 2010 when Jane and I and the husbands were all catching up um, and they Jane said that her and um, Lewis were wanted to go over to the US and I'd always wanted to go to the US but my husband didn't want to have a was not entertaining the idea whatsoever. So I asked them if I could be the third wheel on their trip. <laughs> um, of course, which they said yes to. And then all of a sudden, my husband changed his mind and he decided he wanted to come as well. Of course well. he did. Of course he did, yeah. So we went off on a trip to the US. Um, I guess I didn't have anything to do with the planning. Um, my husband was really into wine and Jane was into both wine and beer. And she'd actually done a vintage in the Napa as well. So she had contacts. My husband had a few contacts and um, I just stayed, stayed out of it really. But we planned a trip, you know, wineries, Michelin star restaurants, mm. um, craft breweries, um, etc., all down the uh, west coast. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, and it was really on that trip where literally the light bulb went off for me. I just spent some time listening to Jane and hearing about this. Obviously, I knew what craft beer was and I yeah. was exposed to it. I've always drunk beer. Um, but just kind of it really started to formulate in my head, hang on a minute, Jane's got this idea to one day start her own brewery, but she's just missing the mm. um, the other side to it, which is the... The business element and um you know i thought that if you put her and i together you've got very different skills but really complementary skills so um yeah I, I i guess we we sort of formed the um the idea of it on that trip and uh, we, I guess we weren't really taking ourselves seriously, but we got back and I just couldn't, I couldn't get it out of my head and I couldn't let it go. So I did a, you know, set up for five hours or something one night and wrote this huge long email to Jane, pretty much selling myself and my skills to Jane as to why she needed to, why yeah. we needed to do this. Um, and yeah, it rolled on from there. So we spent about six months doing a um, really detailed business plan and from then we actually presented it to our husbands on Boxing Day of 2010 and they gave us the tick of approval to say off you go here's our last savings um, you know you two aren't getting any younger I think they said so. <laughs> they probably just wanted to watch the cricket yeah yeah they weren't that interested at all as long as they didn't have to do anything they didn't care to be honest um, yeah so from from that point on um, Jane and I were still both working full-time um, and we sort of we did as much as we could which was another three four months down the track and then it got to the point where it was going to be a potential conflict of interest for uh, for both of us really because we were talking to crossover um, people from our existing lives so we both um, resigned on the same day mm -hmm. and then we ended up both leaving on exactly the same day as well and uh, everything rolled from there so we left in June 2011 and then it took another four months for us to really finalize how we were going to launch and what that looked like um, obviously there's a number of options when you're talking about um, launching a beer or building a brewery and um, we went the least riskiest option which is to start off contract brewing yep. um, and focus on distribution focus on brand building um, all of those things rather than 
um, you know, going to the bank and getting big loans from the get-go or getting investors or yeah. um, getting anything, anything like that. So uh, we, we funded it all. I guess we backed ourselves. Um, and, yeah, we launched our with our Gold Now in October of 2011. And we were really fortunate because Jane was well-known in the craft beer world. So for me, my, you know, first sort of sales call, so to speak, trotting up the road with the with the sample um, and being able to lean on the fact that Jane had been a brewer for Little Creatures, was head brewer at Mountain Goat, really, you know, got a, got our foot through the door. Um, and luckily, the beer was really good as well. That always yeah. helps. And who did you sell it to? Who was your first sale? Um, my first sale, because I'm here in Sydney, was to... Um, uh, Cuddy Cellars. It's always been called Cuddy Cellars, but it was. I think it's gone through three different owners since um, I first sold sold it to them. Um, I live in Crow's Nest, so they were like the, literally the first <laughs> bottle shop, like closest yeah, right. to my house. <laughs> and they took it. I was like, what? <laughs> oh, I can see what you're doing there. You're stocking it so that next Boxing Day, your husband could just go to the bottle shop. Go to the local it. bottle shop. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Although I think one of the rules was that um, you know if they let us do this and use all of our life savings, so to speak, that the, there always had to be beer in the fridge at home. So. Yeah, seems reasonable. Yeah, yeah. absolutely. I got to ask you. So yeah. it's interesting describing the complementary skill sets. Yeah. Um, which for people in business is. Um, Sounds obvious sometimes, but you know whether you always think about what skills you're going to bring together and where you complement um, each other to deliver uh, the overall product. Yeah. But but also interesting to me is how you choose who you do business with, or and especially around a business partnership. Yeah. And so you're saying how you and Jane knew each other growing up, and then uh, husbands knew each other, and so forth. Yeah. And it sounds like um, a quite close. Um, group of individuals I suppose or couples or and um, and and keeping it all together with mm. the other halves who mm. are they involved in the business or they are now they yeah. weren't for um, so my husband joined um, 18 months two years ago now and Jane's joined when we first built the brewery so they both originally took long service leave um, and and never went back so mm. Uh, to their former lives so I think um, we were were all friends originally and um, a couple friends but we were never in each other's pockets and I think there's just a there's an from the beginning there's an ongoing mutual respect of the skills that the people bring bring to the table because I couldn't have launched a beer without Jane the brewer and Jane couldn't have launched the beer without a business person as a partner um I'm no good, nor do I have any desire to ever be a brewer. And Jane, flat out, does not want anything to do with, um, you know, yeah, sales and side, selling yeah. and marketing. You know, she, and we both, um, I guess, cross over through the marketing stuff mm. because the brand is essentially the both of us. Is it? It's an extension of both of us, and mm. I think that's where um, the gold is. So there's this tiny little lap uh, crossover where Jane and I. Um, come together and agree sometimes it takes like a really long way to get to that part where we do cross over but we get there eventually and then that's where the brand exists like right in the middle of um of the two of us um and i guess yeah ultimately at the end of the day i'm not going to ever question her on the beer and she doesn't question me vice versa about which 
channels we're choosing to sell beer in or pricing or any of those other kind of decisions so yeah which i think is uh, probably a good sign of a trusting relationship um, yeah so you yep. start second guessing each other and, we, and there's no time to try and do the other person's job yeah. so we've, we've both just got to get on with it and mm. do what we you know what our part of the of the business is really does the proximity help or hinder more often than not being in different states and running a business i think it's um part of our success is because we have not been in each other's pockets um and so when we do see each other um we're like genuinely excited to see each other because we've not had that face-to-face um daily day in day out um Mm. contact with each other so it's it's like we we get together we do what we've got to do and then we can go out and have fun after that so because let's be honest we're selling beer and we get to go to venues and say we're working so (laughs) (laughs) i think if all of us are a bit guilty of having found roles that uh allow that um duplicity yeah i want to go back to something you said in your in your description of i suppose how you got to where you are yeah and um contrast on the one hand developing products at Woolies Mm -hmm. uh, who are a player in the space and I guess um, in the liquor space as as well Um, and and that's a a certain style of thing versus independent brewing which is um, let's just say it's a David and Goliath type well maybe not that's a bit extreme but you know you've got large large business on the one side and then independent craft Um, how do you, do you see it that way? Did you just pick the eye teeth out of the Woolies model and deploy um, it through an independent lens? or I don't... I, I, for me, um, all of my jobs have been really personal for me. And I, it's... Even though, yes, I worked for one of the largest retailers in this country, everything I did was still, you know, me. And I wouldn't have put a product on the Woolworths shelf if I didn't believe in it or yeah. if I didn't um, agree with it or think that we'd chosen the right supplier um, ethically morally from a quality point of view right um yeah so i I definitely see where you're coming from you can be seen as big bad Woolworths but for yeah i i guess being being there and having to being asked to source products i never saw it as anything other than um me having the control to make those you know the decisions of of who we went with and the types of products so no i think um and then going the difference, I guess, is that um, th- it's still rewarding when I worked for Woolworths seeing those products on the shelf, but mm. now it's an entirely next level of reward entirely. because it, we, I've got to own the entire um, space, whereas at Woolworths, even if you develop an amazing product, someone still steals the thunder at the end anyway. So. <laughs> yeah, and I think it's been just observing craft over the years and, uh, you know, we know a lot of people and uh, the... The diaspora or of talent from businesses like Mountain Goat, uh, Little Creatures, uh, has really shaped the industry that we know as modern craft. I think, yeah, definitely. And, and I, I often reflect on how much storytelling has been a function of that growth story. So, uh, what individual individual. Um, people like you and Jane and uh, everyone else in the industry do is they bring their own story, their own nuance to it and um, and then are able to tell it through 
the means they have available, which mm. is, um, as you say, a little bit where that magic happens in a, yep. in a, in a small craft room. Yeah, yeah, and that's the, the exciting part of it and the part that's real and authentic and uh, I think needs to be there in order for success to, to prevail. So, yep. Um, the story of how we got here and the fact that Jane did work for all of those other big brewers and then I did work for Woolworths, it's just, it's all part of our story of how we landed to have the, um, the confidence to, to do our own, to do our own thing. Mm. The, um, the market's changed pretty significantly since, I guess, the time that you entered. Hugely, yeah. To now. Mm. Um, I guess my opinion or take on it would be that the timing um, would have been better for you back then than to, to launch a new brand into the market obviously there would have been fewer around I would have thought um, how do you what challenges do you see facing new brands as they're entering the market today in terms of getting cut through you you're spot on there the market is entirely different mm. um, to to what it was when we started I think we probably just slid in before the explosion uh, I think from my kind of recollection of the brands that were around and the number and then the pure number today which is more than double um, I think it's really quite um, uh, I guess unnerving times for people that are starting new breweries because mm. it looks quite you know exciting and glamorous and and obviously people that are uh, you know really quite um, you know excited to have be starting their own venture and uh, the shine does wear off because you're not you're not new, you know. You might be new for a week at this. Uh, the way the industry is sort of heading, there's a new brewery um, mm. opening up pretty regularly. So I just think, um, I, I guess I, I, anyone that is starting up, I would really um, urge them to understand the industry. And sure, they might know five people that own pubs that will take on their beer but um you know as lo the price has got to be right the quality has got to be right um so many things have to be right for it to be sustainable yeah so um yeah it's tough and just the apps the sheer competition is huge and, and i mean the size of the craft uh, pie isn't growing as fast as the number of new entrants so yeah. um yeah, and it's much harder. We, you know, I'm used to double-digit growth. Like every year from the beginning, we were sort of doubling, 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 mm. and now it's um, it's not any easy. We've got to be really strategic about everything. Um, you know, from the events that we do, the styles of beer that we put out. Um, yeah, our marketing's had to really pick its game up. You can't just chuck anything on Instagram and Facebook anymore and expect to, um, you know, get likes mm. and have people running off to the bottle shop to buy it. Yeah. So, yeah, it's it's definitely a, um, a a different industry to be in and and start off at. Yeah. Was was there a point, or at what point, maybe it has or hasn't happened yet? Did you realise that you were onto something that you'd created a brand that people were receiving really well obviously the product yep. was really good as well um but what at what point did you sit back and 
I guess maybe begin to relax a little bit around the surety yeah. of the business and its potential? I guess I've got two kind of parts to that and they contradict each other. Um, I, I think I knew I was onto something good from, from the get-go, like yeah. the idea. I was just, I just knew in my heart and in my head that this is what I was meant to do and it's a solid idea and it you know, was for, for the long term. It's not, it wasn't a short term in and out type type of um, quest. So from the get go, I had confidence in that. Um, with Jane's skills and my skills, I was like, "Yep, we've we've got this." Um, but I don't think I've I've ever been able to relax, and I'm always, uh, you know, double checking and triple checking, and I'm and you know, and it's it's kind of changed over the time because we've um, employed people, and now there's professionals, you know, and a professional accountant who's looking at the bank account and to, and all of those things. So mm. I, I don't think you ever stop. Um, uh, worrying or having that element of concern as a business owner it's, it's always in the back of my mind so um, yeah and I don't think that'll ever change maybe that's just me personally and you know, Jane might answer it differently but um, yeah I, I would never rest to say I've made it okay kick back um, I'm going on a holiday just you know it doesn't work like that I think I went I went to Bali last week which is supposed to be like technically my first holiday um in seven years because i now have someone who right. does the social media mm. and i know we now have um you know two other people that know how to process orders and <laughs> things like that but you know i still check my emails five times a day when i was there and stuff so you, you don't ever stop yeah Businesses are challenging things um, because you're trying to like, produce something into an unknown sphere, even though you've got the right experience. Yeah. Um, and and it seems like a great skill set match with Jane and and the guys. But is it examples of things where they've gone off track or things you've made a mess of and you've had to recover from um, that have, have been formative in in shaping the business, or it's been all roses. <laughs> Touchwood, we've had no major disasters. Um, we haven't even had to tip anything down the drain. So um, right. that's pretty good. Uh, I mean, we've had uh, the unknown, you know, we've had a breakdowns and and all things like that happen from the brew, brewery point of view. You know, we've had the flood where someone left the hose on. We've had the accidental fire in the boiler. We've had all, all of those things happen, um, but none of them were significant blows that we couldn't recover from and recover from quickly. I think um, looking back, um, we probably shouldn't have held out so long until we brought on people to help us. Mm. I think we held held on to it for too long when we could have... Um, got somebody in uh, who was more of a um, expert, you know, i.e. accountant, um, things like that, to really help us feel more secure and feel more confident rather than, you know, trying to do so many different um, moving parts of the business ourselves. And what about the shift into the hospitality side, like down at the brewery? Because there's... They are different things. They're related clearly, yeah. but like you know, that that that's a a trend that would have been a transition for the business. Yep. How did how did that go? Uh, yeah, I guess that's something that we recognised that we knew not not nothing about. It was hospitality, um, in in that 
um, you know, face-to-face with a consumer um, form. So I guess we took steps to minimise our involvement. So we firstly um, outsourced the food um, and took that sort of weight off our shoulders. Mm-hmm. We've just actually changed that and we've had a, we've, our own uh, head chef started this week. Yeah. And so that was four years of outsourcing the food until we thought, no, we can we can have a look at that ourselves now. Um, and yeah, actually, uh, the fact that we uh, we did that ourselves, we didn't get a bar manager um, mm. until two years ago. So we, uh, it's it probably actually a mistake. To no offence to Lewis, who Jane's husband, who left his job to come to run the bar, but he didn't have any experience, and it's it flatlined. Um, we were really popular for probably six months to eight mm. months. Yeah. And then it uh, started to, you know, get a lot quieter and quieten down. And um, he, he didn't, he was running himself, so he's running himself into the ground. So there was no kind of energy to um, put into um, giving it some kind of life and, you know, cleaning it up on events and thinking of new ideas. So it was just going through the motion. So, yeah, that was a bit of a learning experience. Yeah. And and I'm curious, like, in terms of... Uh, so. so in, the business I've been in, um, we had a formal board situation and I'd have yep. regular meetings and mm. have to go in and justify... Um, everything. Everything. <laughs> um, um, mainly while I was spending so much money on drinking craft beer. But but how do you guys manage the business? Like, yeah. It's a close set of relationships and um, do you have formal meetings? and or? Yeah, so we've always... Um, because the guys weren't in the business um, for the first three, four years, we um, were pretty good at doing formal board meetings. Mm, yeah. um, Jane and I are the directors of the company, um, but we, we've always acted in a professional sense. Um, Lewis, Jane's husband, he's, um, and my husband, J.A. as well, are both from really corporate um, backgrounds, and Lewis has actually done the training to be an official board member on businesses so I guess we were advised from the start in that direction to set Mm -hmm. ourselves up with a from a with a professional way and since both of the guys have been in the business we consciously have face-to-face we call them management meetings um with Jane and Lou so even though we don't um work in the same state Mm. we see each other uh, most mostly every month, if if we have to cancel because we're travelling or whatever, it, at least every second month we're face to face with each other. Yeah, great. Yeah. Do you get the ability to alter your both of your husbands' job descriptions in any capacity that you wish? Uh, it must be pretty good being their boss. I think they're starting to overthrow us. Actually. Oh really? <laughs> Got to get control of that. <laughs> So, you know, us doing a payout was a big thing because, you know, Jane didn't want to do a payout. Right. And we survived for uh, for five years without mm. having a payout. Um, and then, you know, JA comes in, my husband, and we, we really want to do a payout. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, now, you know, we probably wouldn't have survived if we didn't do the payout because you know at the end of the day it's what the australian culture yeah. drinks mm. um it's a it's a probably a more of a marketing term the word pale ale that con- but consumers understand it they know what to expect when they see the word pale ale if they've got 
no confidence in craft beer. They mm. see the word pale and, yeah. you know, they, they know basically what they're going to be in for. Um, yeah, so there's there's been all those types of decisions um, around, yeah, branding, strategic direction, um, but it's just a matter of um, sitting down and we just bash it out and then at the end of the day we finish and then we go and drink and then everything <laughs> and everything's good yeah like one thing i'm struck by just listening to the story is um it's evolution and, and that may sound um common between ev- you and every other business but uh just picking up on that example the pale ale thing mm. um it's hard isn't it when you've got something that's been working and then you know, because that's how you've got to where you've got. Yep. Like contract brewing initially versus, yep. you know, not having your own. Like that was, all these become decision points. And um, yeah, and to, to step away from contract brewing and yeah. buy the bottling line, yeah, that was um, huge yeah. because, I mean, ultimately we bought the bottling line because you, you can control your own destiny. You don't have to be constantly trying to book in slots so far out when you don't know if the sales are going to be there or not. It, it gives yourself more autonomy you've got the total control over the quality as well but I was really nervous about um, getting the bottling line and I just thought uh, contract brewing um, you know we'd done fine to date so <laughs> yeah. yeah and then yeah. and then then another example is the move into um, cellar door hospitality front of house because if you look at the I think some of the craft brands that have defined the market mm. It's almost it's almost unthinkable that creatures, strong cellar door, um, hospitality, goat, um, young Henrys, uh, you, you know, and and uh, and that experience becomes part of your brand experience, it does. and and um, you know, so that's another example in your story of having to diversify. But uh, as added, I think from what I see to the success of of your brand as a whole which is if, if you just stuck doing what you were doing you may have missed that element um, as, as well yeah. yeah for sure and we've kind of got all the pieces to the puzzle now um, we did know from the get-go that we did want to have the home the brewery um, we thought it would actually take us five years to get to that point but doing the rounds and doing the events and selling the beer um, number one question oh, where are you guys based um, so and it was kind of hard it's like well both from Perth but Jane lives in Melbourne mm. and I live in Sydney <laughs> and but the beer is made in Geelong so because that's where we made it first um, down at Southern Bay Brewing Company it just it just doesn't work it's part of a brand personality people want to know where you where you're based so I guess it was really cemented for us pretty early on that we would have to go to that next step and we were 18 months in or nearly maybe it's two years when we we knew that it was this was going to go to the next step like and we sort of did around the table so okay are we all is everyone confident are we all ready to you know reach into the pocket again and go to this next stage so yeah your brand obviously two birds built around the fact that you're both female Mm -hmm. um 
believe it or not, some people don't get it. Yeah. (laughs) Entering a traditionally heavily male-dominated industry, were there any challenges that you experienced as a result of that, whether they be overt or covert, where people maybe didn't want to deal with you because you were female or just, you know, I guess you, you felt that you may have missed out on opportunities just because you were female? Look, obviously it's the number one question and yeah. I wish I had some really smart answer for you. <laughs> um, so that there's kind of two parts to it. Um, yes, obviously we knew that we were a minority, um, but I had zero concern or lost sleep over that side of it. Um, to me, Jane's experience, Jane's background, um, you know, all of those things would put us in good stead. I was not concerned about being a female in a male-dominated industry. Mm-hmm. Um, and from uh, like the experience that we've had, um, Jane and I don't have any bad stories that we've held on to that we uh, are really resentful for. There's been plenty of dickheads, don't get me wrong, but <laughs> both male and female um, yeah. have, you know, at times treated us with disrespect, um, thrown us out because they don't know who we are or, um, you know, don't want a bar of craft beer or for for whatever reason. So I think you definitely have to have thick skin, but that's just business in general. And if you let um, people turning you away or turning you down or giving you any kind of negative um, feedback or criticism in any way, I don't think you'd be able to continue on. So it's a definite shake yourself off and of course I've kind of got home and probably shed a tear or yeah. said many a swear word out loud in the car <laughs> as I've driven away or something like yeah. that but um, yeah no it's been really welcoming and uh, I guess back in the early days as well it was it was a really small industry so yeah. if, if we had um, any kind of questions or issues or whatever it, it really is just a matter of picking up the phone to I don't know, Brendan at Feral or whoever, and he would help Jane out if she was having a problem with a beer at a particular contract brewery or whatever. So, and there's lots of like to me as an outsider in the craft world, it appears as a collegiate, uh, supportive community. Yeah, um, is that an accurate fact statement? Would you say, or is there has you seen things change around that as it's got more competitive, maybe or? Um, uh, it is for sure um we absolutely we all know each other um i was walking down the street yesterday and the two gauge guys were walking towards me and you know we hugged it out and then i said get off my turf no (laughs) um so it is but it's i think we've got to be well jane and i had to we've become more um aware of the fact that it's competitive and if if we tell somebody how to go and do something then they're most it's they're most likely stealing our tap that that we have or um so to a to a a certain degree and within reason there's information sharing and all of those things Mm. but we've stopped giving away our business plan you know and telling people how to go and build a brewery because they need to go down their own path and figure it out how it works for them and their vision and what they want to achieve like we're not saying our model or our path to market is right in any means because it's not right for some people so um yeah i mean we still get calls a lot and people wanting to you know have a beer or 
can we call you and ask these questions? And we've had to start saying no um, because, well, firstly, it's really time-consuming I and mean, we're still really busy in our own business. Yeah. It's not like we're sitting back by any means. So, yeah. yeah. You, um, well, we mentioned feral, um, and this is a topic that we discussed with uh, Tim Fishwick as well, mm-hmm. I guess around craft and the importance of being independent in today's market as well. Mm-hmm. And we can we can actually cut this question out if you don't want to answer it, but um, is a long-term, I mean, how, how open would you be to, for your brand to no longer be independent? Um, is that something that's ever been considered around or in, in conversation with your business partners and as a long-term vision for the business? Obviously, it's something that we've talked about because it's such a hot topic at the moment with all of the shifts and changes. But, I mean, Jane and I started this business to work for ourselves and be accountable and essentially only report to each other. We didn't want to report to a board or a boss or a manager and that's why we started it and that's why we're still here today mm. and Jane and I still own 100% of our business and um, and we don't have any plans to, to change that uh, seven years in um, but I don't know how I'm going to feel in you know another four years, five years, six yeah. years. The way the market's changing at the moment, anything could happen I suppose. So uh, I'm not... Um, it's not something that was part of our... Uh, we didn't have an exit strategy. Uh, we didn't have a 10-year plan and then to get out. Uh, we did yep. this because we're both... I'm a passionate business person and Jane is a passionate brewer. So uh, until that wears off, I think we've, we're, we're happy to just keep doing what we're doing. Does that play into what your forecast would be for growth around um, the, the size of the business and where you want to get it to? Because you do, I yeah. mean, you look at business like Feral and then I guess people have probably had a conversation about stone and wood before and that they're yeah. craft brands that get so big um, that either they do get bought or, you know, you look at what, what their next um, expansion plans might be internationally yeah. or, or whatever. I, think, I mean, a lot of the um, reasons that people give as to why they've exited is because they couldn't fund their next stage of growth for us and where we're at um we're only halfway to where we can be so we've currently set up to do double of what we're currently doing so we don't need um any external funding um uh to to keep going uh at, at this point in time so yes we're up against people with much 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 bigger marketing budgets and who can and there's a lot of um, activity with cheap beer and you know buying of taps and really cool, quirky um, you know marketing um, giveaways and all those types of things. So and we definitely uh, can play in that space as well, but we're we're limited to what we can do. But um, we've just got to keep doing what we're doing and um, yeah, just work harder and better at it. Really. And I think, and I think, as our team has grown, and it has a lot over the last 12, 18 months, we really do have the right people in place. So now I can focus on marketing, and it's not kind of an after afterthought when I'm at home at nine o'clock at night. Um, I can my next big thing that I like personally want to uh, achieve is to see the brand overseas. So I've been working really hard on getting export relationships up and running.
markets would you look at, like, or, or into Asia like, as a first step? Or Yeah, so we've always done a little bit to um, Hong Kong, Taiwan and, Ma- and Malaysia. Um, and when I say a little bit, it's a palette here and there. Um, I've just been to China twice in the last year and we've got a distributor set up there. And so it's, it's really early days, but signs are pointing towards it being um, a, you know, a good channel for us to um, open up. Um, and out of curiosity, do you get any government support? Like there's, I forget the names, Austrade yeah. or... Oh, um, so yeah. there is one uh, export grant that we've been getting for the last three years. Um, it's called the Export Marketing Development Grant. So it's sort of, it's a five-year grant and it's in year one, it, it sort of... Um, diminishes over the over the five years as to what percentage you can claim back sort of if year one's 100% of yep. all of your international travel and all of your marketing costs you know I think we're up to year three now and we can claim 50% of the costs and things mm. like that so I think the way that they must look at it is this, if you start to explore export as an option if you haven't made it in five years you're probably not going to right so yeah because yeah. I guess like as you're saying I mean the um one of the opportunities for the overall communities to just is to grow the category it sounds obvious but and that that can be done either locally or all through export i suppose so um, yeah i think it's just de-risking ourselves looking at the export market because the australian market is so competitive so i think some people see it as a negative oh why do you have to go overseas it's like well you know, it's would be, it would yeah, be stupid not to. Diversification if of revenue there's streams. There's a yeah. desire and a want for Australian craft beer brands. Then why wouldn't we? So, we'd be we'd be um, silly not to take up that opportunity. And yeah, this market isn't getting any easier to play in. So, <laughs> and I don't think it will for any time soon. Yeah, mm. yeah, we've heard quite a bit of good. Um, stories along the way but like is it specific advice and uh, it's hard a question to ask because two birds um i guess in a male dominated industry sometimes you can't help yourself but ask have you got advice for you know women wanting to get into this but you've got i think actually the question you've got advice for anyone yeah wanting to get into this would be useful for our listeners it's really cliche but it's it's the research piece um you know, you, you don't know what you don't know, and I think for anyone going to any business of any kind, um, even if you really think that you understand it, uh, you've just got to go out there and talk to people. And sure, um, some people might be hesitant to talk talk to you, but then you've just got to, you know, other people that are in the exact same industry or the exact same position as you are, but you've just got to go around that, and if it's if it is beer people, then you go and you talk to the publicans and the bottle shop owners, and you know, and don't just talk to one. Like you got to do a range of of different opinions because it is funny. I guess I've fallen into the trap of talking to one person about one topic, and then that particular person might be really believable or what I feel has come up come across as honesty. Um, but then you know, six months down the track, you soon learn that that person was maybe not the best person to take advice from. <laughs> yeah, right. So I guess my... Yeah, a jaded publican. Um, yeah, so get advice and get lots of it and lots of opinions and then form your decisions around what's right for your brand. I guess don't mimic anyone. Don't 
don't try to copy anyone. It's got to be authentic. It's got to be real. I think the consumer is really savvy about reading into brands because it, anyone can go and look up anything on the internet. And if they can't, if you can't substantiate your story or if it's feels a bit um, empty, mm. then I think the consumer can can see right through that. So. Do you suggest that there's a bit of that happening in the craft market at the moment or is that just more general advice? Oh, I think generally speaking about any brand, yeah. re- really. But, um, yeah, I don't have any good examples, obviously. But, yeah, I mean, I, I get sucked into, I suppose, you know, the things that pop up on Instagram, um, shoes or whatever. And, <laughs> and there's this really cool shoe brand that I've yet to buy anything from but I'm very close because uh, I keep getting distracted but they're called All Birds yeah yeah, I was about to say yeah. <laughs> and they keep it keeps coming up I thought you'd diversified your brand by that <laughs> <laughs> yeah I wish they look like they're comfy shoes um, but you know I went on their website and I was like straight into it like just everything that they present how they present themselves and their backstory and all that stuff I was like yeah that's pretty cool. So, yeah, it's a it's a very real world that we live in. And everyone wants the mm. the authentic story. So, but there's yeah. nothing so lonesome, morbid or drear, than to stand in the bar of a pub with no beer. Now the public. So um, we actually haven't spoken at all about your beer. Uh, I was actually the actual product. The actual product. Yeah, <laughs> I was down at uh, Royal Albert a couple of weeks ago now, mm-hmm. and I think you were doing a tap takeover to celebrate your birthday. Is that correct? That is correct. Seven and years for seven beers. Right. The other way around. Seven, seven beers, beers for seven, seven years. years. Yeah. Um, I don't ask me to recount the names, but what struck me about the actual titles of your beers that they're quite interesting and, yeah. and unique. Can you give us a bit of insight into the product strategy, maybe best sellers, where you sort of move the most stock? Um, just what, you know, a total overview of your product. Yeah. So, again, that's changed a lot, and I, that's one of those things that you, we have had to have changed, otherwise, we probably wouldn't have survived. But so, we launched with a gold nail, um, which was quite unusual um, because most people launch with a pale ale, but we thought that we would have more chance getting a tap rocking in there if we had something different to a pale ale because there might there was James Squire golden around at the time but not really any kind of craft golden um, that we could recall anyway so that uh, beer still still around today today excuse me um, and is was was uh, quickly um, dropped off first perch when we launched a pale ale which was to beginning of um, 2016 so uh, secondly was the beer that I guess inspired me to start the business with Jane was hearing her talk about this red ale beer that was going to have um, grapefruit and toffee characters and passion fruit. I just thought that sounded like the most delicious beer in the world. I was like, <laughs> I, can, I can sell that. Yeah. I don't care, you know, um, I didn't need to taste it because I, hunt, I trusted her 100%. So yeah. that was the beer that she had, I guess, the recipe for in her back pocket. This is the beer that she wanted to launch with if she was going to start um, a business on her own. So right. she's, she always says that she, she we did the golden first because she did that for me because she wanted me to have confidence about selling our first beer. Um, and so apparently the, the golden ale is... Um, is the Golden Danielle and the second beer was Sunset Ale which uh, we still brew uh, all year round and it's probably our most highly awarded beer it's a really 
beautiful malty um, beer. It's got nine different malts in it and it's yeah just really quite distinct and I think um, uh, yeah, there's lots and lots of red ales around these days but um, it, it, I think it was different at, at its time and uh, I think we won this year uh, best it won best trophy at the AIBAs so right. I'm like was excited by an, an old beer winning yeah. <laughs> as opposed to all of the the new trendy beers yeah. so we, we won for best amber and dark um, wow. and that's entries from around the whole world so not just Australian beers so yeah that was that was Jane was pretty chuffed about that one um and then I don't know if there's a beer that you guys have heard of with our third beer was called it is still called Taco which um most people ask about that beer it was like oh you made that Taco beer yes we did um that was a beer that we did for Gabs uh in 2013 so it's a hoppy ale with coriander, corn and lime, all fresh ingredients. And it's the beer that gets us over the line with people that don't think they like beer. Namely the female um, market right. who really just say, no, no, I don't like beer. So if we're doing an event, we get them to try the taco and they say, oh, that's not too bad. And then, you know, we can at least convince them to go on a bit of a journey from there and try our other beers. So uh, that's probably the one that we captured the real pointy end of the craft market with. It's a bit, it's a bit more beer geeky. Um, so we rolled with just those three beers for a, a long time until we had our own brewery, um, mm. and then uh, we started to have more flexi- flexibility because we had um, smaller tanks and things. So we started doing lots of different limited releases. Yeah. Kind of every two months we'd do something, and that was Jane's chance to really. Um, take creativity to a whole new level and do you know rice beers with additions or um, you know cake beers we did gin and tonics we've done px's we've done beer with um, sesame sesame snaps in it just like every other craft brewery just when you think it can't be done someone does it really Um, so we definitely play in that um, creative end of things as well our ongoing range or core range, we call it ongoing range um, it, it's definitely our bread and butter they're the beers that we have ranged in the national distributors and Coles and Woolies and um, they're the beers that tick over mm. and um, we also uh, have gone down the can path yep. summer of last year we, we I guess we saw the growth in cans and we, we knew it wasn't really going anywhere so we wanted a piece of that uh, action as well so we don't have our own canning line we're using the, the mobile canner which a lot of people are what do you put that down to as I was, I was at a brewery the other day and it really struck me they were rolling cans off the line mm. at the time and I mean if you think back well if I think back my impressions of cans were VB cans to his new cans. I mean, you typically wouldn't... Um, I, I personally wouldn't drink many canned beers mm. um, because you typically wouldn't find what I consider to be quality beers in cans, but that's obviously changed. What do you put that down to? Pirate life. <laughs> that's it, <laughs> right. Um, yeah, I mean, if it was up to Jane, we would have launched in cans seven years ago when we started because, because it's the freshness yeah. and, you know, it's not going to get stru- um, light struck. So, um, yeah, there's no doubting the quality aspect of it. It's just been, uh, you know, up to marketing to really 
change that stigma of people thinking it's low quality beer or taste aluminium because it's not so um the first big guys that came out in cans you know pirate life and bolter and all of those amazing beers Mm. um started to turn the tables and yeah then they're definitely not going anywhere so it's always the thing that strikes me about craft industry is that you say pirate life Mm. and there's they've been highly responsible with it's 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 the number of people doing something similar all at the same time um that is also consistent with the distribution model uh so for craft who have a focus on uh small bars you're dealing with bars who have less fridge capacity um don't want to deal with huge amounts of waste um and so the to me the canning piece um has been sort of like the happy coincidence of a multiplicity of things that has um then just had you know amazing uptake um beyond you know the naysayers including myself back then going Mm. oh this will never work (laughs) yeah but um it definitely added some some color into the yeah into it didn't it and it just the the real estate of a can and um Mm. so much bigger than a label and the fact that those you know the 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 big cans are out there that it just from an um aesthetic point of view it's it caught people's eyes because it was different so um and and turns out different in a good way so Mm. there's also something a little bit retro about it i think in terms of i can still remember my dad drinking silver bullets you know and like there's that kind of nostalgia everything old is new again correct yeah i've got got a question for you Mm. beer festivals do we Mm. need more beer festivals no (laughs) (laughs) why do you want to start one (laughs) no um, i mean we've rocked around the space for ages and it yeah. um there's the, the number that created and then you, and then there's long lasting ones like gabs which has done a phenomenal yep. job i think um for the industry uh and the guys running it um yeah but uh we had a break this year so did you yeah we thought it was time to just pass the torch on and yeah and because we're not um new anymore so yeah it's you know people kind of bypass us because there's the new kids on the block that they that they want to go and try they've had our beers before so right yeah in the experience yeah, yeah. um but yeah we we are um at time out you, you know normally get approached a few times a year for a new a new beer festival um to su- support it or yeah, sponsor yeah, it yeah, yeah yeah um and i just was curious in your um experience because obviously those things depend on support from the brewers um yep. but they all uh the, the number that are on is staggering and mm. i like I, I honestly don't know how um you guys keep up with you know the manpower or woman power to go along to these things and um yeah and like they were all fun and games for about two years and then dane and i just burnt out mm. it, just, it was really great to get the liquid to lips as we say and get people trialing the beer um but with time and experience you soon work out that they can be a money pit Mm. um and not necessarily deliver what you want them to deliver um there's certain things you you know people need to be able to buy your beer afterwards so there's no point in having a massive ass going to a big beer festival in the middle of nowhere if no one's going to be able to get your beer afterwards yeah Look, thanks for uh, giving us your time and giving us, uh, I guess, all that information about the business and you personally. We did want to provide listeners with a, a, 
uh, I guess, a few takeaways from the conversation, and that'd be typically things that are linked to you personally. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, as a means of uh, insight into maybe things that have inspired you throughout your career, things that um, reflect who you are now as an individual, and, and, and maybe who you think. Um, your impressions of who are doing things well in the industry at the moment. So we've got five questions that we're going to ask every guest um, at the end of the podcast. So we might just jump into them now if, uh, if that's okay. So sure. We want to know what your favourite drink is right now. It can be beer, it can be wine, it can be anything. It can be one of your beers if you'd like it to be. Um, right so now it's water because I just <laughs> did a week in Bali drinking too many mojitos. Right. Um, but outside of that... Um, yeah, I think just being winter, I'm really enjoying stouts. And we, we happen to do a raspberry stout, which I think just hit the perfect uh, balance of sweetness and creaminess. And right. So I will plug one of my own beers. Yeah. Is that available? <laughs> where, where could someone buy that? The raspberry stout was a pretty limited uh, run. There could be a keg or two around, but our original, which is just a straight up um, oatmeal stout, mm-hmm. is in bottles and taps around. Speaking of the Royal Abbott, I saw it there, so yeah, right. it is there. Okay, Royal Abbott. Sorry, <laughs> next door. So, how a Mick Bain down there? Yeah. <laughs> um, in terms of venues, when you're uh, I understand you don't get much time to relax, but when you do, is there a venue, and it could be anywhere in Australia, maybe Bali, that you consider to be, I guess, the go-to for you personally, someone that you just think is, is killing it at the moment? Um, look, I don't get to get out that often, sadly, because I do have a small one. Um, uh, but I will, um, I guess I'm a WA girl at heart, so I'll always opt for an outdoor, mm-hmm. um, an outdoor venue or a rooftop. If you've got any hot tips, I'm always looking for rooftop bars, actually. Um, and then on the other end of the spectrum, I think if I do get a night off, you can always find me in Frankie's at the end of the night. Right. That's scary. <laughs> and we, we were all there just a couple of weeks ago after the Indie Awards. So, yeah. Yeah. I don't know if you're supposed to admit that or not, but... Uh, I saw the aftermath um, in one of our listeners, um, which I won't mention their name in public. Right. <laughs> <laughs> um any favourite album or artist? Um, yeah, I don't get to listen to a lot of music, but um, again, this could be sad, but I'm a massive Daniel John Silverchair fan, so yeah, right. I just went to um, his latest um, project, which is called Dreams with Luke Steele. Mm-hmm. So I, that was at the Opera House, um, and that was pretty cool. So that was a, a fun night out. I was in the, the fourth row from the front, so I was very excited. Great. <laughs> <laughs> um, any books that you've read recently, or actually it doesn't have to be recently, but maybe a book that you uh, would highly recommend to someone for any reason, or, a, or another podcast maybe that you listen to? Um, again, the book thing it hasn't seemed to um, get back into my life recently, but I'm really enjoying reading LinkedIn in the mornings. Really? Yes. That gives me that, gi- that gives me my really quick snapshot of like the latest news. Yeah, right. And then because I'm trying to really understand the export market, mm. it's got a lot of um, interesting um, articles about that um, retail world over there, which I'm just finding fascinating as to the changes that are happening over there. So just slowly building up my. Um, building up my knowledge of of that market so yeah linkedin um (laughs) (laughs) 
really random <laughs> yeah, answer. Yeah, but I like it. Is, um, are there any groups that you're a part of on LinkedIn that you're getting that kind of information from that you no, reference, or I, is it just who you're no following? No groups. Um, I, I, I have a, an open door policy when it comes to LinkedIn. Mm-hmm. I accept anyone. I think that's so, how we actually connected. Maybe. I'm pretty sure it is. <laughs> Whereas my Facebook, I don't, you know, that's a that's a private uh, thing for like personal and family. Yeah. But LinkedIn, no, I have an open door policy. So I think I've got, um, I don't even know if you call them friends, but whatever you call them. Connections. Yeah. I think I've got nearly 4,000 connections. So my feed Jeez. is pretty interesting. And there's like a daily um, rundown as well of the... You know the most popular, um, relevant new news things as well. So I know I'm getting into LinkedIn in a big way, and What's and it's because it's the only um, uh, social media platform that China can be on as well. Right. So. Um, interesting. They're blocked from everything, including including Gmail. So uh, that's uh, if I post anything about China, I know that it's going to get some cut through in there as well it's um it's interesting because i obviously work in hospitality recruitment and mm. hospitality as a sector still probably if you look to look at the uptake of professionals within linkedin as, mm. a, as a specific social media channel it's actually quite low if you look at you know in comparison to other industries yeah so it, and that's probably because people like me are, are reaching out to individuals on linkedin so they don't want to be harassed that's probably the reason but um it is a genuinely good source of news yeah yeah people who are interested genuinely because it doesn't give you it gives you business news Mm. um without it being um i guess too dry so it's just a really short snapshot for me to have a look at it in the mornings nice um and podcasts um the last one and probably one the first one I've listened to in a really long time is Osbury's News I happened to catch James Atkinson's post on LinkedIn mm. with a with a link to his uh, interview with the guy who started Lagunitas um, who got sold to Heineken which I just thought well, that would be quite interesting to listen to that story and I did I found it really interesting cool. yep. last one um, biggest in- inspiration for you could be a person could be a business could be anything um yeah, it's a good question, and I, I don't, I don't really have like a big name or a celebrity. I, I think people, I'm just inspired by like my friends and family and everyday people that are juggling life. You know, whether it's mums that have three kids and still run their own business. You know, I have one kid, and I'm like, that is the end of that. <laughs> of that kid, of that side of life because I just I you know um it's it's really tough being being a working mum um yeah and I think I'm I get inspired and I'm I guess I am a like a sentimental person at heart so just hearing everyday stories of people that have gone through you know battles whether it's sickness or whatever and then mm. have um gone on to go and do amazing things like I went to um the International Women's Day event at Luna Park this year and Turia Pitt spoke. Um, I'm sure she's a celebrity now uh, in her own right, Mm. but prior to that, you know, she was just just a super athletic, uh, high overachiever, obviously, but, um, yeah, her story really struck a chord with me because it's like, wow, if you can overcome what she did and kind of go on, yeah, so... She's amazing. Yes. That's it. Thanks Thanks. for your time. Thank you. So I found that really interesting discussion, Luke, Um, particularly around 
the nature of the relationships in the business. Yep. So, you know, two people who knew each other well, partners knew each other well, and then how that's evolved over a period of time. Yeah. And then to combine it with uh, first child as well and still be growing, um, pretty phenomenal. Yeah, uh, that for me probably um, is is the the key topic because I, I through my through my personal experience being involved in a couple of different businesses and I know you have been as well I think those relationships internally are challenging enough let alone having to then combine those relationships with you know with your best friend with your husband your best friend's husband you know how they were actually able to overcome the challenges that would have invariably been there uh, and still come out the other side is pretty phenomenal yeah and I think how um, the well, and one takeaway for me was because in family businesses that you observe or I've observed mm. over the past it's because you're seeing someone all the time you sometimes never talk about the issue so I think that the meeting structure um, is a useful takeaway uh, for you know any business but obviously in a family business you need to sit down and just talk about and have clarity around um, around those business issues and, and formally make decisions. It just sounds like what they've, they've done. Yeah. yeah. What did you find uh, in, in, in addition to that? Anything that kind of struck, struck you in that? Uh, look, really just the, the difference. I think the timing that they entered the market is really important. Yeah. Um, not that it, it, I guess, decided whether or not they would be successful, but thinking back to, the, I think, 2011, um, Danielle said they entered the, the industry. You know, I guess my personal recollection of the market at that time, I probably wasn't a huge craft drinker, so my journey probably began with craft beer after they'd already entered the market. Yeah. Um, so for me, that puts a pretty good timeline on it. But then, I guess, contrasting that to now and fully, you know, being aware of the market, understanding how many brands there are out there. You know, we we met through Tim Fishwick, who's with a, a, a large craft brand um, and has been with other major players in the craft world um, the the market is is quite massive now so you know how again that didn't play a, have a have a huge impact on their overall success I would suggest that they would have been successful now if they launched or uh, successful having launched when they when they did but um, I think the thing that stuck out for me there was that the challenges facing businesses that are launching these days um, could be you know, really quite significant. 